Let's turn to John chapter 20 this morning. Really the second half of John chapter 20, starting in 19... You know, you go to the grocery store and they have purchases of opportunity. I think that's what the marketers call them or, or impulse buys or something like that. You're standing in the checkout line and there you have naturally chocolate. Um, there you have some magazines and every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll look at those magazines and, and I'll look at the National Enquirer in particular. Why? Because... Inquiring minds want to know. So you, you check out the National Enquirer and see who's an alien and, and who's married who and who secretly has done all these things. And every once in a while, it's actually true. You know, every, every once in a while, it's actually true. Well, inquiring minds want to know. And, and there's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with wondering what the story is there. Is that true? Well, you know, there are certain things that we can believe, but that should not stop us from asking questions. We live in a very scientifically oriented town. Okay? There are a lot of people here who do, the, you know, the, the scientific method is to test and to prove and to demonstrate. But there are a lot of minds that, that want to keep asking and keep searching and want to know more and more and more. And I think that's part of the way that we were created, to ask questions and to seek answers. Now, we have to know that sometimes... We just can't find an answer, okay? Why does Judy love me? I, I, okay. I'm counting that she loves me, okay? It's too late now. But, but why? Why, you know, we, 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 we look at couples and we go, my goodness, how does she put up with him? Uh, you know, that's crazy. But she loves him, okay? And there's nobody else. So we ask questions. Some, some answers will not be found. So we come to the guy in Scripture who asks questions. Now, there are plenty of people who ask questions in Scripture, but this one deals specifically with what has happened last week and the outgrowth. And this guy, Thomas, he's got some questions. He is a believer, but he's also a what? Doubter, a question asker. He's a searcher. He wants to know more. And he asks some pretty hard questions. So if you're able, would you stand with me and we'll read I'll read from John 20, starting in verse 19. Heavenly Father, come upon us today, we pray, with your Holy Spirit. Fill us that we might understand your word, that we might see it plainly before us, that we might live it out. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. John 20, beginning in 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week... And when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to go into this, but remember, this is, 
This is, they did not receive the Holy Spirit twice. They received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This is more along the lines of you will be the people who receive the Holy Spirit first, okay? So uh, 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Jesus is again, Jesus did not give them authority to forgive sins. This is a statement of sins are forgiven in Christ. And that is the statement, if you proclaim these things, sins are forgiven because they're in Christ. 24, but, that famous word, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it in my side and be not unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. The process of doubt is often how we come to know things. Somebody says to us, usually a parent who knows to the truth and says, Randy, the stove is hot, don't touch us, don't touch it. And what does Randy do? Randy doubts the word of authority in his life and he goes and touches the stove. I have now found out that they were right because my little hand has been burned. Okay, that's the very simple thing, but that's one of the ways that doubt comes into it. We learn, we doubt, we seek, we ask, we pursue, we learn. Now, we might think in our lives that Well, does faith have any room for doubt? I mean, really, if you say that you believe, how can you then doubt? Well, Thomas believed, and as we'll see, he believed quite a bit, but yet he doubted. He asked very hard questions about Christ. Now, as I said, can I know everything there is to know about God? No, I cannot know everything that there is. Um, There are things that cannot or will not be answered in this world about God and about the way he works or his perfect will. Now, one of the problems is when we do get some answers about God and his perfect will and the way he works, we don't always like those answers, okay? Because we think God should work this way, but yet he says, this is the way I work. This is who I'll have mercy on. This is who I won't have mercy on. This is what I have done. And I've done these things because he is the Lord and it fulfills his purposes and his will. Sometimes we just don't like those answers. They don't fit our way of looking at the world. Now, if you have doubts, uh, if, and, and, and lots of people do, and lots of people have questions about God, and there are some very famous people over the years who have had these great questions and written you know, uh, great, great uh, books on it. Uh, sometimes these, these uh, very famous atheists like Bertrand Russell or Voltaire or David Hume or some of the modern guys like... Um, Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, they have raised questions concerning God. 
Well, most of the questions they have raised have, al- have already been asked in books such as the Psalms, or Job, or Habakkuk, or Lamentations. Again, we might not like the answers that we get about who God is and what he does. It's okay to ask questions. It is okay to pursue. Often those questions have already been asked and already been answered as much as is possible in this world. If we examine the word of God, I think we find that God is really doubt tolerant. I mean, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be ashamed to have doubts. We shouldn't be ashamed to ask questions about God and what he is doing because we see some of the very most faithful people in scripture ask questions. Come to God and say, what are you doing? Who are you? What do you think is going on here? And doubt whether the Lord is even pay attention, paying attention to their lives. We'll see, you know, we'll see in our study of Psalms as it goes on. David sometimes cries out, Lord, where are you? Don't you know that we're here? Don't you know that we're suffering? Of course the Lord does. Of course he does. And I think that any God who's not big enough to handle questions is not the kind of God that I'm interested in worshiping. Any God that can't have can't deal with doubts that I have, can't provide me some answers in his word in what he gives, he's not cutting it. Well, that's, I, I hate to say that. Uh, our God cuts it, okay, because he can tolerate the answers. He, he can tolerate the questions. He says, Randy, come to me with your doubts, as we'll see what he does with Thomas. Now, Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian guy up in, in Manhattan, wrote this. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she or he has failed over the years to listen to their own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors as well. But even as believers should learn to look for reasons behind their faith, skeptics must learn to look for the type of faith hidden within their own reasoning. All doubts, however skeptical and cynical they may seem, are really a set of alternative beliefs. If you doubt Christianity because there can't be just one true religion, you must recognize that this statement is itself an act of faith. No one can prove it empirically, and it is not a universal truth that everybody accepts. Well, if you went to the Middle East and said there can't be just one true religion, nearly everyone would say, well, why not? Do you doubt one type of faith in order to justify a belief in another type of faith? Every doubt, therefore is based on a leap of faith. Now, he's got a book that deals with this in particular. Um, Reason to Believe or Skeptics, Question Skeptics Ask, something like that. It's it's a very good book. Now, when God works in ways that we don't understand, it can lead to doubt on our part, even in the most mature believer. Uh, Everybody asks, why, Lord? After sometimes being hit right in the face with something we don't understand, that we don't like, um, that, that seems like it might crush us, uh, you know, it, it's terrible just to go, well, that's God's will, and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah? But to just throw it up in the air and say, 
God's will. That's almost like saying it's the fates, it's chance. No, no. We have to understand in a deep sense what the Lord is doing and why he is doing this particular thing in our lives. Is it God's will? Well, is my life submitted to him? Am I pursuing him? The things in the world happen. Okay, bad things happen because of there's sin in the world. Sometimes bad things happen because I'm stupid and, and I pursued bad things. Sometimes bad things happen to us because other people around us are stupid. And their consequences of their actions spill over into my life. Does God allow those things in my life? Yes. What is he doing with those things in my life? That's where we want to dig in. That's where we want to find an answer. Lord, why are these things happening? Why am I going through this? Now, remember on the night, this is the night, 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 this is before he was crucified, John 14, wonderful passage, John 14, 1 through 6. We won't go there, we, uh, we'll just reference it. Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for them so that he can come, his disciples, and collect them and take them to be where he is. And what does Thomas say? He's not the kind of guy to keep quiet. He says, Lord, I, I don't know where you're going. How do I know the way? Now, aren't you glad that Thomas had questions? Aren't you glad that Thomas doubted what was going on? Because we have this great answer from Jesus who says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. Now put yourself back in the situation where the disciples were, and they still had this limited sight as to um, what they understood about Jesus. Jesus had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I will be raised on the third day. And they're still scratching their head going, I don't quite understand what Jesus is doing here. So you can see that Thomas would be confused about these things. Now in, in uh, John 20, look at verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They still didn't understand what? The scripture. Their confusion and their doubts came because they didn't understand the things that Jesus had said were going to happen. They just did not grasp that. Um, on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus' resurrection, there are those two of them, and they, he talks, and what? From the Old Testament, from the prophets, he tells them what must happen to the Messiah, to the Son of God concerning all these things, concerning the scripture and concerning Jesus himself. He had spent three years with them, the last three years. They, they still didn't understand what was going on. And many of our doubts, many of our questions stem from the same, same cause. We, we just don't understand scripture. Okay? And then sometimes when we do understand it, we just don't like it. If we had our druthers, we might want to tear out a couple pages because uh, they call us to do some things and live in ways that I just don't want to do. It just is very, very hard. And when Jesus began to teach some of the very hard things, back in John chapter 6, it says, many of his followers walked away because Jesus' words were hard. He taught some very hard things about how the people who were going to follow him were supposed to live. Then he looks at his disciples and says, what about you? Are you going to go too? And Peter says, hey, you're the guy with the words of life. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? So in order to prove to those who doubted Jesus, I was thinking, you know, because there were a lot of doubters. Why didn't Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, why didn't he go to the Pharisees? 
Why didn't he go to the chief priest and the leaders of the synagogues and show himself and say, Jesus wouldn't do this, but told you so, you know, or something like that. He didn't go to any of those people. He did not show himself. In the 11 instances in Scripture that we have of Jesus' showing himself after his resurrection, it is always to believers. It is always to his followers. It was never to the skeptics. It was never to those who doubted. It was never to those who said, no, you're not king of the Jews. No, you're not the Messiah. I mean, wouldn't it have been great for Jesus to just to go back and really put it on those people and say, yes, I am the Messiah. He did that to one group, you remember? He went to the deepest, darkest pit of hell and proclaimed to those demons in the chains, said, yes, I am the Messiah, and I've overcome death, and you've lost. He left them there in chains until the very end when he will return. Well, he appears only to his own. Turn over to Luke 16. And this gives us some insight into why he appeared only to his very own. Only to those who would then go out and take the gospel. Only those who were going to expand the church. Only those uh, who, who were going to change the world. Okay? Now imagine, just to, as an aside, here you see the risen Lord... Pentecost comes and you're full of the Holy Spirit. I, I just can't imagine how jazzed you would be. And that's a deep theological term. You know, you're jazzed. I've seen the Lord. The Holy Spirit has come upon us. You know what? You know, Peter, I, shadow crosses over people and they're healed. Fabulous. I mean, no wonder they could change the world. No wonder they could change the world. Okay, let's look at, at uh, Luke 16, verse 19. Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he's being comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, in order that those who wish to come over from here <coughs> to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And here, here's the, the crucial issue. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, 
if someone rises from the dead. So he said, why, why wouldn't the Pharisees, why wouldn't the chief priests, why wouldn't these Jewish leaders who, who had been instrumental in his crucifixion, why wouldn't they believe? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, their eyes are blinded by the God of this world. But the eyes of his followers were open, and he went to them because they would take the gospel into all the world. They would go and make disciples, teaching, preaching, baptizing. All right, back to John. Let's look at Thomas in particular here. Back to John 20. Thomas is mentioned often in Scripture and in a couple places. Uh, the first instance is back in John 10 as uh, they're getting ready to, to go to Lazarus. Okay, word comes Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, uh, it's a sickness not unto death. So he doesn't do anything. And then word comes that Lazarus has died. Oh, is Jesus wrong? Oh, you know the story. Lazarus is going to be raised. So, so Jesus says, uh, okay, after he, he waits a little bit and says, okay, let's head out. And the disciples go, well, Jesus, you remember last time you were at Bethany, they tried to stone you and kill you? Maybe we shouldn't go. And Thomas blurts out, let's go and die with Jesus. Okay. Why does he blurt this out? Well, uh, I'm just not sure. Uh, you, you might take it as fatalism. You might take it as, um, well, if we're going to go, we'll go with Jesus and we'll just die. Okay? Maybe he was kind of depressive or something. Or maybe he was sold out to Jesus. Maybe he was all in for Christ. And if Christ is going to go and die, then I'm going to die right with him. You have to admire his willingness there to stand up and go, go in. I mean, this is no, uh, this is no pie in the sky, uh, let's go and die. I think this is, uh, he knows the cost of following Jesus to some degree here. This is realism. It could cost him his life. Well, as we looked at earlier, as I, as I mentioned, John 14, it talks about, you know, he asked Jesus a question. Well, I don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus makes it clear, I am the way. Jesus had already appeared in John chapter 20. He had already appeared to Mary Magdalene. He had appeared to John. He had appeared to Peter. He now appears to the disciples in the upper room. Okay, so let's go back to verse 19. It was when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood within in their midst. Now, who's not there? Thomas. Now, if... If there was ever a, if there, <laughs> I sneeze the same way. It's all in, okay? Okay, if there was ever a point, a teaching point, this is it. Thomas wasn't in church that night, and look what he missed, okay? So you got to be ready, okay? You got to come to church, because you don't know what you're going to miss, okay? He missed the risen Lord who shows up in a locked room, and then all these guys go back and tell, man, you missed it. How could you not be there? Don't you know I saw Jesus? And, and Thomas, he, now I'm going to read into Thomas here. I think he was kind of like, you're kidding me. You know, you really? That was Jesus? And, and, and let's, let's fill in some dialogue. Did you ask him any questions? I mean, did he prove that he was Jesus? No, it was clear it was Jesus. You're kidding me. You didn't ask him any questions. You didn't, you didn't quiz him. You didn't ask for proof, his driver's license, anything like that? No, no, this was Jesus. He says, I won't believe until what? 
I put my fingers in here and I put my hand in this side. Now, I think J.I. Packer calls um, Thomas willfully skeptic. Willfully skeptic. Uh, perhaps Thomas was really hoping that Jesus would come back from the dead. Maybe in the back of his mind he had had this thought that, that Jesus had talked about it and, and he was really hoping, but when it came to it, he, he said, I, I have to see it. I've got to see this guy. I can't take your word for it. I mean, maybe this is weakness on, says weakness on Thomas's part. Maybe this is just human nature. Are you kidding me? He actually rose from the dead. When I see it, I'll believe it. Maybe he was from Missouri. Who knows? Okay. Well, the rest of the disciples hadn't asked the hard questions. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, I've got to put my finger in. I've got to put my hand in. Now, understand he had been counting on Jesus. I mean, they had all had invested their lives. They would pitched out everything else in their lives to follow Jesus. Jesus was dead. Maybe Thomas was in a funk. Okay? Maybe he was depressed. Maybe he was just so sad, so broken that Jesus actually died that he was off by himself. Because sometimes we get that way, right? We, we begin to have questions or we start to hurt. And, and we, we don't go to church. Okay? Oh, no, I'm, I'm hurt. No, I can't go to church. Oh, what did Thomas miss? Not only did he miss the Lord, but he misses that time of encouragement. Just being there. Just in, knowing the sweetness of the fellowship of the body. But for eight days, he's off on his own somewhere. We don't know where, it's not said, but it's eight days later. He's back in with the disciples. After Verse 26, after eight days again, his disciples were inside, and it says, and Thomas with them. Particularly, he points to them. Jesus came, <coughs> the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, said, peace be with you. And then he goes right to Thomas. Now, who told Jesus about what Thomas had said? Who told Jesus that he had to get his fingers in there and his hand in there in his side? See, Jesus knew. He knows everything about us. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your doubts. He knows your concerns. He knows if you're a willful skeptic even and what has to be proved to you. And I think that talks about Perhaps Jesus' gentleness and his care for us. I mean, Thomas was one of his. Okay, he was one of his chosen disciples. And he was going to make sure that Thomas had these questions answered. And he comes to him and says, okay, Thomas, here I am. Put your fingers in. Put your hand in. And what does Thomas say? Yeah, let me feel it. No. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. He doesn't say, that's the Lord. That's the God. He says what? It's my Lord, and it is my God. This personal relationship here. A heart that had doubted. A heart that, that was, was maybe depressed and, and felt excluded from the Lord. Now he says, this is my Lord. This is my God. This is the one who is risen from the dead. I have seen his glory. I have been I have beheld the glory of the only begotten. And whatever doubts or concerns, whatever frustrations or anger or unbelief, whatever was in Thomas's mind those eight days is gone. He has seen the Lord. 
Now, wouldn't it be great if we could just say, Lord, shh, show up, okay? You know, and my questions will be answered. Show up and I won't doubt anymore. Just, just come into a room that is locked, just like you did with Thomas, and come to me. And if you are God and know my doubts, you'll answer all my questions. He's not going to do that. In fact, if we look back, Jesus did miracles, but miracles were not the only way that he demonstrated who he was. He would teach the things of the kingdom. He would present the truth. And here at the last portion of this in verse 29, because you've seen me, have you believed? Well, who wouldn't? I mean, he comes, he says to him exactly the things that, that he knew would answer his heart and the questions of his heart. And Jesus says, blessed are thee who did not see and yet believe. There's a question in the homework. I think it's in the homework. Maybe it's in the notes. If you could have an hour with Jesus alone or the scripture, which would you take for the rest of your life? The scripture for the rest of your life, which would you take? Gee. Jesus left and sent us who? The Holy Spirit. If it was crucial for the growth of the church, if it was crucial for the work of our Heavenly Father that Jesus remain, then Jesus would have remained. What is crucial for the growth of the church? What is crucial for the kingdom? What is crucial for the work of our Heavenly Father in this world is that he showed himself to witnesses. He has left us a witness here in the scripture, and it is our job to demonstrate these things. I would love to sit in a room with Jesus for an hour. Gee, we've been here just an hour. But you know, it's not just this room. Because of the work of the Spirit, he's always here. Okay, He gives us his word so that we might follow it, so that we might know. What are your questions? Dig in and find them. Find the answers here. Do you have doubts? Good. Find them here. Man, if I only understood calculus, I have questions about calculus, I think I'll look in the hymnal for answers. I'm not going to find answers in the hymnal about calculus. I have questions about why I'm here. I have questions about what God is doing. I have questions about what he wants me to do. Where should I look? In the book that he gave us. The answers that he gave us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what? You showed, your son showed himself to those who would then go into the world and take the gospel and make disciples. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. We have your word. We have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. What can stop your church? What can stop the spread of the gospel? Yes, there are obstacles. Yes, there are doubts, even within our own lives. We have questions about who you are and what you're doing. But your word is clear. Lord, for those answers we don't like, work on our hearts, Lord. Soften them. Provide for us understanding. Help us to dig deeper into your word. For those questions that we have not found answers to, Lord, give us patience to search. 
but most importantly, Lord, that we would rest in you, that you can handle our questions, that you can handle our doubts, and you are the one we need to go to to find these answers. We pray that you would speak to us today in Christ's name. Amen.